everybody, and welcome to your next great read from the Okie Bookcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm on a mission to connect you with your next favorite book, and that's what this show is all about. We're going to be talking about books we love and giving you reasons to love them, too. The goal of the conversation is to introduce you to a ton of great books and hopefully connect you with a few that you can't wait to read. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, author, screenwriter, and favorite oldest daughter, Hannah Heron. Hannah, what's going on? Hey, guys. Okay, so Hannah, it happened to me again. I was in Claremore on Monday, hanging out with the friends of the Will Rogers Library. Shout out to Claremore and the Will Rogers folks. Very cool. The second person I ran into, the first question they asked me was, hey, is Hannah going to be here? Oh, no. And oh, you I disappointed the people. You did. And disappointed me that now you are more of the attraction <laughs> than I am. So it's fine. I'm fine. It's well, all fine. Hey, shout out to that person. I'll make my way to Claremore at some point. There you go. They'd love to have you. But because of that conversation, lots of people discover the bookcast for the first time. So hi to all of our new friends from Claremore. We are excited to have you listening and uh, hope you're going to find some great books in the midst of all this. Our guest is making her second appearance. This is the first person who's agreed to come back and talk to us again. So we're really excited to have Melissa Coase. Melissa, welcome back. Hello. I am so happy to be back. Thank you so, so much for inviting me back. Well, and thank you for joining us for another round. Now, you have a bookstagram, so tell yes. us a little bit about Sticky Note Book Recs. Yeah, I have a, an Instagram account dedicated to all of my books and all the bookish things that I love, and it's called Sticky Note underscore Book Recs, and there I post book reviews or book recommendations on a little sticky note on the front of my books. And it's an awesome way to get reviews because you do a great job of very quickly saying, this is why I like this book. So you don't have to read through pages yes. and pages of whatever. That is it's absolutely by design. <laughs> right. Well, and I've seen, I think, that that approach now has ported to your employment at Literati Press Comics and it Novels. sure has, yes. Everybody is now putting recommendations up on sticky notes in, yeah. the, uh, in the store. I'm so lucky to work with such cool book people. They saw what I was doing on Instagram and loved it and awesome. said, hey, we could totally do that at the store. So we turned our staff recommendation wall into a big sticky note book rec, basically. Incredible. So, That's amazing. So fun. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do this thing. Hannah, give us a quick rundown of the format. All right, guys. So just a quick reminder of how the conversation is going to go. So what we do is we're going to talk about books in three rounds. First, we're going to talk about a book that we're currently reading, and we're going to give you kind of an early impression on it. Next, we're going to talk about two books that we've read in the last 30 days or so. We'll give you kind of a quick review and then our recommendation on those. We're going to end our conversation with what we like to call our backlist pick. What this is, is one book from a pre-assigned category that has to have been released at least five years ago. So... Let's go ahead and kick it off. Round one. Melissa, what are you currently reading? Oh, I'm currently in the middle of a really interesting book. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. So this is um, a sci-fi, but it's in the a YA sci-fi category, which I think is really fun. Um, so I was walking around the library, came across this book. The title of it is The Spaceship Next Door by Jean Doucette. That title just grabbed me right away. I was like, yeah. what? Spaceship next door. That sounds cool. I picked it up and I'm so glad I did. So far, it's been great. I'm about halfway through it right now. So the premise is takes place in this little town in New England and a spaceship just lands in a field in the middle of town. No explanation. Nobody knows anything about it. And it just sits there. It does nothing. 
So the story actually starts three years later and this town still has a spaceship in it and that spaceship still hasn't done anything. Wow. So, you know, if you think about that, like, obviously everybody kind of freaks out at first. The government doesn't know if it's a threat or, you know, military problem or whatever. But as time goes on and nothing happens, now it's just something they observe and they guard and they don't know what else to do with it, really. You've got your your uh, UFO enthusiasts and other people in town that want to keep an eye on it. And so they're parked outside the perimeter in RVs. They just live out there. So the protagonist of the story is 16-year-old Annie, and she's just one of those kids around town that knows everybody. Everybody knows her, and she's got a good relationship with everyone. So when this government guy comes into town, he's posing as a reporter that's doing a story, but really he's really trying to investigate and interview people and ask some questions. He kind of gets some, a little bit of um, the closed door. Nobody really wants to talk to him. So he enlists Annie to help him kind of be the tour guide and kind of introduce him, be the middleman so she can introduce people and they'll trust him a little more. So I'm in the middle of the story where they're still going around interviewing people. They're still figuring stuff out. You get some clues that there's something changing on the spaceship, but you don't know what it is exactly. And if that's a reason to worry or not. And right now where I'm at the story, some crazy things have started happening, like disturbing things. But I do not know. I cannot figure it out yet. Why? How that involves a spaceship. I don't know. I don't know how the UFO is involved in it, but there's some weird things happening. The tagline, though, the very last line of the synopsis is um, Annie Collins might be the most important person on the planet. She just doesn't know it yet. So I got to figure out that. Right. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. So anyway, I'm really excited. That's uh, The Spaceship Next Door by Jean Doucette. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I love I love a wild things are happening. They're somehow connected to this thing, but we have no idea where this is going. Like I, really? I love the progression of that plot. That always seems to work really well for me. Absolutely. Um, and YA sci-fi is so fun. Yeah. Such totally. a fun genre. I know, I know. You you posted this and I was immediately intrigued by the title because sci-fi and I am who I am. <laughs> I love this idea of eventually it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just over there, right? But <laughs> right, I got to get yeah. to the grocery store and I got kids to take to soccer and how the, the insane can become a, just a normal part of life pretty easily. Yeah. Yep. I am wildly intrigued. I'm looking forward now to the sticky note when you finish oh, it yeah. to, uh, yes. to see where, where things go. It'll definitely be coming. I can already tell this is one I'll recommend somehow, some way. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. How about you, Jay? What have you been reading lately? I picked up, again, at the library, um, gosh, it feels like a month ago now, it may have been, Final Girls by Riley Sager. And oh. I have not read any Riley Sager, but his name keeps coming up. Hannah talks about him, I won't say incessantly, but frequently. I mean, it's it's valid, though. <laughs> well, so that, that was part of the intrigue that um, I just, as I was walking past the shelves and I saw that one and it was the only one that was on the shelf, probably because all the rest of his stuff is out in the world. So I kept hearing his name. I thought I'm going to grab it. I'm going to check it out. And I'm really interested in this kind of renewal in the concept of final girls. Um, for those of you who don't know, mom, uh, a final girl is at the end of a slasher movie, the one person left standing. So managed to escape the bad guy. And I'm a kid of the eighties when okay. slasher films were slasher films. So I got Michael Myers, I got Jason, I got Freddy Krueger, like all of that is a part of my, I won't say childhood because I was a little bit older than that, but it was it's a part of my growing up. So the concept of Final Girls is very ingrained. 
But, you know, there have been two or three books lately. Um, Grady Hendrix's book, The Final Girl Support Group, which is awesome, by the way. My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones is really a final girl book, although it's a little bit different, kind of celebrating all those those films. So I was interested in where somebody else might go with this this conversation. And just quickly, the premise of the book, um, there's a young woman named Quincy. She is the survivor of a massacre, really, of a lot of her friends at a cabin in the middle of the woods. And um, the book takes place 10 years later as she's kind of gotten her life back together and she's living a fairly normal existence. But this thing of what happened to her back in the day is still a part of her world. And she's also a part of this kind of exclusive club of other women who are final girls who have survived uh, incidents like hers. And very early in the story, one of these three takes her own life or is discovered looking as though she has taken her own life, I think is kind of where we're headed with all this. And uh, so then it just begins to spin off the rails a little bit as Quincy and the other final girl who shows up in her life start to investigate what happened. And that's about as far as I've gotten, but you can feel the thing spinning back up of what she experienced when she had uh, her experience that she survived. And what's interesting to me about it is that on the one hand, this book feels a lot like a sequel to a slasher movie where, you know, you had the final girl and she's got her life back together. And then, you know, insert Michael Myers or Jason or whoever shows back up. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't it's not trope heavy, like it doesn't feel like they're relying so hard on that. And I think about Hendrix's book, uh, Final Girl Support Group, was full of those tropes. But that was the point. It was kind of a love letter to all of that those films and things like that. This feels a little different because it feels more like it is the setting and the context for the story that Sager's trying to tell, but it's not necessarily over-reliant on the fact that she is who she is. So we'll see. Uh, I like the way he writes. I like the the characters he's creating and kind of the situation he's set up. Like I said, I'm probably 40 or 50 pages in, was actually reading just before we got on to try to get a little more in. Hannah, have you read this one? I have. I'm oh, trying not to. There's my, so I'm, much you know. I am trying to keep just a straight face, like you're as you're great. explaining things. Like, um, I you're in for a treat. I this is one of my favorites of his. It was his oh, debut cool. novel, right. um, and it's one of his most awarded novels. I love the characters in particular that he creates in this story. Um, you're right in saying it's it's not tropey, right? Um. It, it doesn't kind of fall into that. It diverts expectations a little bit in that way. But also I think Sager is just a master of having these things that happened in the past kind of play into the present in really mm. intricate ways with his with his people that he creates and the worlds he creates. And he does a good job of that with this book for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'm excited. I, I figured you had. I was trying not to make eye contact as I was talking about it so that you didn't give anything away <laughs> as I'm kind of like, well, I think this is what's going on. Right, right. You didn't I'm, have to roll I'm your eyes like or anything. Poker face all day. Well played. What about you, Hannah? What are you reading? Okay, so I have just started a book called The Night Parade by Ronald Malfi. This is a really interesting book so far. It's it, it, Just follow me here for a second. It's kind of giving like... The Last of Us meets The Stand by Stephen King. Oh. It's it's that kind of vibe, right? That's kind of the, the situation. So um, I picked this book up because the opening line on the synopsis on the back cover is this. It says, first the birds disappeared, then the insects took over, then the madness began. 
Whoa. And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> We're going to give that a try, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this book is about a father and daughter who, um, in kind of the opening chapter, all we know is they have stolen a car and they have taken to the road and they are on the run from something. And we don't really know what at that point. We don't really understand um, how tumultuous this world that they're living in has actually become. So you're kind of getting bits and bits of information about how apocalyptic are we talking here, Mm -hmm. um, the more that they're kind of like running from this thing that they're running from. They are on the search for a safe haven. We don't know exactly where we're going. We don't know exactly why. It's really interesting so far. I really like the writing style. I like the chronology of it. Like I like the way that we're learning about the world. Mm. Um, It doesn't feel info dumpy. Like you never have a moment where it's just like, hey, here's what happened. Here's the situation. That's why we're on the run. Because it's kind of weaved really intricately into the dialogue and into the circumstances. So far, it's just been told from the father's point of view. I'm curious as to see if we're also going to get the daughter's point of view. She's pretty young, but I do think it would be interesting if we do get that because she would have a really interesting perspective on the events. Um, We know that she had a mother at some point. Mother is not in the car with them, and that's all we know at this point. So we're going to figure out what happened to her. We're going to figure out what happened to the rest of the world. Are there other people? What is this safe haven? Um, And how can something like this end well? Right. That is um, hopefully what we're going to find out. But I'm enjoying it so far. I'm maybe a quarter of the way through. It's not a particularly long book, a book that so far only has two characters. I mean, you'd have to get good with the dialogue for that to stay engaging. So far, so good. Um, So I have good feelings about it so far. That sounds really interesting. I love some apocalyptic books too. So, and I love this. You're so right. I love it when an author is really good at helping you with the backstory, but in a really like story driven way to where you're not feeling like you're info dumped. Yeah. (laughs) I'd also like to point out that we have managed to reference back covers twice now in the first three books. So (laughs) well done blurb writers. (laughs) Yes. It goes to show you the importance. Sometimes you can judge a book by its back cover. (laughs) That's right. All right, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Dad, why don't you tell us about two books you've read in the last month? This is kind of fun because I have had the chance this last month to read two books by Oklahoma authors. We always kind of just talk about everybody, but since it is the Okie Bookcast, it's kind of fun to uh, to get to talk about a couple. The first one is a book that I would never have read, except that I had the chance actually last night to interview the author, teaser, for uh, the upcoming uh, bookcast episode next week, her her people sent me a copy, and so you know I try to be a good host and read it and loved it. Oh, uh, that's the, good. The book's called yeah because it would have been a really awkward interview. <laughs> it would have been awkward. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> great point, Melissa. <laughs> the book's called American Ending by Mary Kay Zaravlev. It's historical fiction, which is why it's not something I would typically read. I I loved this book. It is the story of a Russian family who immigrates to the United States around the turn of the 20th century so dad can go to work in a coal mine in Pennsylvania. And so they're living in this poor mining town. They are surrounded by not only other Russian immigrants, but uh, immigrants from other countries who have also been drawn to uh, work here by the, the company. 
Uh, and, and the story really is just about this family. And it's told from the perspective of a girl named Yelena. Yelena is the the daughter of the the parents that immigrated. She's the first child born in the United States. So she's an American and is very, very proud of that, even though she lives in an entirely Russian community and household. And so the world perceives her as Russian. Uh, but in her mind, she's an American. A couple of things that really grabbed me about this book. Uh, one, I mean, their lives are hard. They're coal miners or immigrant coal miners around the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mary Kay does a fantastic job of making them real by injecting humor into their story. You know, even people who have really, really difficult lives often find things that are funny that happen to them or are able to find humor in some of the stuff that goes on. And she does a great job of recording that. Of, of making it part of just the, the everyday interaction that they have. But she also, and this is really cool to me, this is actually the story of her grandparents. Both sets of grandparents were migrants to uh, this part of the country, working in mines. And so the level of detail and research that's put into this is fantastic. She really comes up with some great stuff about just kind of the everyday normal life, the food and the culture and even like what church and celebrations and festivals look like for for that group. But the other thing that's really interesting about this book is that she talks about things that are still very much conversation now. So immigration and what it means to be a migrant and a citizen is a part of the conversation. Uh, The Spanish flu breaks out in the midst of this book. So you have a pandemic, you have gender roles and the conversation about what it means to be a man and a woman in these contexts. It's timely. And in a lot of ways, you, you get to think a little bit about kind of where we are now in the midst of it, but in a way that might be a little bit safer because it's historic. And so we're talking about older things that go on. If you're into historical fiction, it's a fantastic book. Um, and again, Mary Kay is a, a great author and just really well-written all around. So American Ending by Mary Kay Zarablif, uh, definitely worth checking out. Oh, that's cool. Well, I know it must be good for historical fiction. If you're not usually a reader of that and you really enjoyed it, it's probably going to be a really good recommendation. Yeah, yeah. So Awesome. The second one that I've read is by Lou Burney, uh, who is an Oklahoma City guy. It's called The Long and Far Away Gone. And this is one that when I, a year or so ago, was asking for recommendations about just, you know, Oklahoma books that everybody should read, this book kept coming up over and over again. I just hadn't had a chance to read it until recently, and I loved this book. And I'm going to get into why here in a second and watch Hannah's eyes roll out of her head. Oh, uh, can't wait. Settle in. So The Long and Far Away Gone is a noirish detective kind of thing about a guy named Wyatt who is the survivor And suddenly we're back to final girls, but he's a guy, the survivor of a massacre that took place at a movie theater in Oklahoma City in 1986. Now, let me stop. For those of you who don't know Oklahoma City history, this is not true crime. This is not nonfiction. (laughs) Although there was an event that took place a little earlier than that in Oklahoma City that I think this is kind of based on. And I'll, I'll let people just go with that. So Wyatt is the survivor. He uh, has left Oklahoma City. He's become a private detective in Las Vegas. About a quarter century later, he finds himself coming back to Oklahoma City to help uh, this woman who owns a bar and she's being harassed because the bar is getting messed with and she doesn't know who, she doesn't know why. So he's come back to help her. So you have these kind of two track stories going. One is both him dealing with, but also remembering what happened in 1986, but also him investigating and trying to figure out what's going on with who's messing with her in the bar. Then a third story shows up. 
that involves a young woman whose sister disappeared from the Oklahoma State Fair also in 1986, a few weeks after the murders took place. One of the suspects in the sister's disappearance has reemerged. And so she's investigating what happened there, and she's trying to get with this guy and figure out what went on while this other set of stories is going on. So you've got these three tracks running, and Bernie makes it work. Because on the one hand, it sounds like that could get really convoluted and who's going where, and uh, and it doesn't. It, it really works. He separates things out well. Uh, you get multiple perspectives, and it's always really clear who's talking and kind of which story we're following. There's some things that you might think obviously are going to happen that don't necessarily. The book's great, but here's why I love it. This is the most Oklahoma City book that has ever been written, maybe even more so than a lot of nonfiction that's been written about Oklahoma City. Bernie includes details about the city that if you live here or lived here in the 80s, you're going to get. And I did. And I did. <laughs> so he he talks about, I mean, just random stuff that and it, it, it's not like gimmicky. It's not like, oh, so I'm going to, you know, wow you with my knowledge of Oklahoma City. Um, but he talks about Vast, the restaurant at the top of the Devon Tower. He talks about the arena. He talks about the thunder. He talks about streets that if you know from around here, you know exactly where he's talking about. But when he gets into the stuff in the 80s, again, he's talking about things that were true of Oklahoma City then. So like when he first comes back and he sees Bricktown, he's shocked that people are hanging out there because in the 80s, you didn't go hang out in Bricktown. That was not a place anybody wanted to be either before dark or after dark. He talks about the fairgrounds and describes buildings that don't exist anymore, but for those of us who are around then, and he even, and this is the one that Hannah's just going to blow your mind. <laughs> there was a store in Oklahoma City called Tammy Lynn, and Tammy Lynn was like this children's boutique, and the draw of the store was that they had a live monkey in a cage that lived in the store. Wait, this is real? This is real. No, this is a real well, thing. Is that like, okay? <laughs> well, not now. I'm not sure it was then. But I remember, and anybody from Oklahoma City in the 80s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, like we went to the store uh, and, and of course, there weren't any girls in my family. But there was a boys kind of clothing store right next to it. But we always found our way to Tammy Lynn because we wanted to see the monkey, this just capuchin monkey kind of doing his thing. Fascinating. Wow. Yes. And so when Lou starts talking about, and he just references it real quick, but I was like, yes, <laughs> I know this monkey. I have seen this monkey in real life. And it just, so it's super fun. It's a great book. Um, he, it's written with humor. It's written really smart. And, you know, the, the detective is not kind of that perfect guy that everything just goes right all the time. Uh, and I love that far more than the, the detective that just follows the through line and, and nails it all down. Um, but the Oklahoma City part of it, if you are from around here, you're going to love it. If you're not from around here, it's not annoying. It's not like so much. You're like, okay, we get it. He's in Oklahoma City. But man, if you're from here, you're sure going to love it. So check out The Long and Far Away Gone by Lou Burney. Oh, you've so sold me on that one. We sell that one consistently at the bookshop. Yeah. But now I totally know why. So now I have a reason to snatch a copy before. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hannah, what do you got? Two books that I read this month that both had me over the moon, which is so much fun. So um, just uh, follow me while I geek out here for a little bit. And they're very different from each other, which is also fun. 
First book I read this month is called Love and Other Words by Christina Lauren. This is not my typical genre. It is a romance slash coming of age-ish type book. Um, I say ish because it follows multiple timelines. We get the same girl's perspective from her adult life and also um, from her childhood through like young adult life. The story is about a girl named Maisie. And Maisie's mom passed away when she was a child. And when her mother passed away, she left a list of rules slash things to do. Um, So Maisie's dad has this kind of list of things to do for Maisie as she grows up. On that list, one of the main things that her mother wanted was some kind of vacation home for Maisie, some kind of place that Maisie can escape can escape to on the weekends that feels different, that feels like her escape. And so dad makes this happen and he buys a lake house. Next door to their lake house is this really awesome family with lots of kids. One of the kids happens to be exactly Maisie's age and his name is Elliot. And Maisie and Elliot have one thing in common and that is that they absolutely love books. They love to read. And um, in this little vacation home that the dad buys, there is this big closet, like big walk-in closet that's just like too awkwardly large to actually be a closet. And so he (laughs) gives it to Maisie and he turns it into her private library. And so they build bookshelves together on all the walls and she gets a cute little futon and it's just kind of her safe reading space. And she starts to invite Elliot into this space And they sit and read books together all day, every day during the summers. And she looks forward to going there on the weekends to read books with Elliot. So we know that they grew up together, reading books, became really good friends. We know that they at some point became romantically involved. And then we know that something went horribly wrong when that happened. And they broke up and they did not speak for 11 years. So fast forward to present day Maisie. She is an adult now. She um, is a medical resident at a hospital. She is engaged to a very famous artist. She um, she has a great life. She's really busy, but um, things are going really well for her until she's at a coffee shop with her friend one day. And guess who walks in? Elliot. They reconnect for the first time in 11 years And as we are watching their reconnection and watching it just absolutely wreak havoc on her life, um, (laughs) we are also going back in time and learning more and more about the way their friendship developed in the past, the way that it turned into a romance, and um, what could have possibly gone wrong that split them up for 11 years. And what is that going to mean for the present day version of these two people? This book is fantastic. It is heartwarming and also like devastating and also just like it does what you want it to do you know what i mean like Mm, as you're following you have all these just kind of hopes for it and um and it delivers on what you want i will say i was um half reading the actual physical copy of the book half listening to it on audiobook i'm doing a lot of audiobook these days because i'm commuting a lot for work And I made the horrible mistake of listening to the end of this book while driving to work, like was en route to go deal with college students all day 
while listening to the ending of this book, and I am a basket case rolling into the OCCC parking lot a couple days ago. (laughs) So um, just full disclosure, maybe don't listen to the ending on your way to work. Do what you will with that information. But I mean, this book is just fantastic. Even if you don't like romance, even if you don't like YA, you don't like coming of age, this is just a really, really good story that tells you about really awesome people that you just wish were real and that you want the best for no matter what. Oh, that's exciting. I am staring at that book right now. It is in my room on my to be read. I am really excited to pick it up because that sounds so good. I'm so glad I have a copy of it like here where I can like grab it like tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when we get done with this thing, all you got to do is just go pick it up and go crazy. I do not have it on my TV. Yeah, <laughs> that surprises me. I know. I'm sure It does sound a little bit like, um, have you read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the beginning of that, the setup at least feels yes. a little bit like that. The relationship that yeah. goes sour and then they kind of reconnect. And- yes. Yeah. It, it has that same kind of vibe for the relationship for sure. Yeah. Okay. Second book that I read this month. Let, let me give a little bit background on how we got here for a second. So I read, (laughs) follow me. I read The Good House by Tanana Reeve Du last year. Um, And I did talk about it briefly on the podcast when we were doing our end of year conversation. It was unfortunately what I deemed in in the moment my least favorite book of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I did not dog on it. I just had my critiques and I got some backlash for critiquing to Nana Reeve Do, and which is totally cool. Like I am always open to give an author another shot on a different story if something just like wasn't for me, but it's not them, it's me kind of thing. Um, and so I was recommended actually her short story collection, which is called Ghost Summer. And I thought, ghost how perfect it's fall i'm getting ready to have my spooky season on um and a collection of short stories will be great right like i'm just gonna um throw on the audiobook listen to a story you know whatever i ended up blowing through these stories they were so good ghost summer is a collection of horror short stories so they're all in that horror genre They cover the gambit of everything from gory graphic horror to um, very highly suspenseful psychological horror. You'll find stories that are more geared toward one or the other. But I think that's kind of fun because it um, you're not quite sure what to expect with each individual story. There are multiple stories that take place in the same story worlds. So you kind of read through um, a section of stories that are all about the same place or the same people or, you know, something kind of in the same world which is kind of a fun way that it's divided up too. So you could kind of read through either just a story or read through that whole world and, you know, kind of take away what you will from it. All of these stories were not only great little scary stories. They also had deep social commentary, each and every single one of them. Nice. Um, and that is something that Tanana Reeve do is just fantastic at is really kind of calling out these, um, these different things in society that she's trying to draw your attention to. And she does so in a way that really heightens your awareness to it because it scares you because the story is meant to be scary. And so really, really well done. Some really interesting characters in all of these stories, very interesting scenarios. 
Um, one particular story, the one that was my favorite, was just called Summer, and it's in the very first section. It's a story about children, and particularly babies, young children, becoming possessed once a year at the same time of year every time. And so everyone kind of gets their children out of this place this certain time of year. One mom doesn't. And holy smokes, um, that scared me. That was a scary one, Um, but was so, so good. So um, I just want to say like The Good House was not for me. That particular book was not for me. But Tananarive Do is for me. Um, Mm. These stories are fantastic. If you um, don't feel like sleeping and want to stay up at night, then like (laughs) go ahead and grab you Ghost Summer by Tananarive Do because it will have you thinking for sure. Wow. I love the fact that you've managed to put disclaimers in both of your reviews. (laughs) Why is that my thing tonight? I guess that's just what we're doing. And I keep saying, I keep saying like, follow me. I'm like, hang on, follow me. We're going like, (laughs) just, I feel like Taylor Swift diving into the stage. I'm like, here we go. Stop. (laughs) Let's not start that again. Okay. Um, We never stopped. I'm well aware. I love short stories. I, I love the kind of encapsulation, you know, the, the ability to tell something really quick and it really is an art. So I'm intrigued and this, I don't know why, and I don't remember where, so that's very helpful. Uh, but I just saw that title pop up somewhere on social media and Mm -hmm. was intrigued. So now I'm even more intrigued. Melissa, what about you? What are you, what have you been reading? Oh man. So my first book that I need to share with you guys that I just read recently is probably not only is it probably my favorite read of the year, it might actually be one of my favorite reads of the decade. Wow. It's that good. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I've come across the book like this in a really long time. But it is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It was something I read for a book club that I'm online with. So it wasn't even really on my radar. I've never read Barbara Kingsolver before. And uh, it was just so good. If I could give it six stars, I'd give it six stars. <laughs> you can't hear. Good. We allow it. Yeah, well, that's what it's getting. So the story takes place. It's basically an Appalachian retelling of David Copperfield. So by Charles Dickens. So, you know, his story was about Victorian England, 1800s, the plight of the orphan in that time, right? Like this kid growing up and telling his story. This is basically the same concept. And it obviously takes place in Appalachia. He's born in that area and he is born to a single mom who struggles with addiction. His dad died when he was a baby or like right around when he was born. He's only heard stories of him. He doesn't really know him. And, you know, they grow up poor. They grow up struggling. His mom really struggles a lot with her mental health and they don't have a whole lot of support from other people. And it basically follows his, his growing up. It's it's a coming of age, but it covers so much ground and so many things of the history of that area, like real, like legit, what happened during those time, the time period of him growing up. So we basically follow um, Damon is his real name, but he's gets the nickname demon Copperhead. Um, But his name is Damon. We follow him through growing up. He ends up in foster care. He ends up being abused by a step parent. He ends up being uh, tossed around in the foster care system with foster parents who aren't really doing this for the care of children but for their own means, whether it be child labor or needing the extra financial money for their own family. It's really a life of struggle. He has a life of struggle. The thing that I'm just blown away with how well Barbara did was it's it's basically also telling the story of the opioid crisis 
and how oh, wow. this particular area became very addicted to opioids because of the way the drug companies promoted it to the doctors and the doctors would give it to their patients and they don't really quite understand how really dangerous it is. So easy to get addicted. And so it even goes through what it's like to be addicted to drugs. What happens when a whole community and a whole area gets ravished by that? Yeah. You lose lots of people really tragically, very young. And um, so he, he just experiences heartache after heartache. But you like him so much. He is such a likable, wise, you know, wise beyond his years character. He has some wise sayings. I have markings and highlights in my book all over the place from just little tidbits of things that he learned about life. And so even though you're like going on this really tragic like life journey with him, you still care so much about him and you want to follow him and you want to stick with him. And even he is just like, I'm going to keep trying and I keep you know, he keeps somehow he keeps going and um, just so masterfully told. It's like the perfect picture and, you know, adaptation of what was going on in that time. Like the when I did the book club meeting with my friends for it, I have some friends that live in that area, actually. And they were like, this could be taught in schools. This could be wow. taught as part of Appalachian history. Like, it's so good. It's one of those literature books you could take and apply to a really good history lesson, you know. I was just super blown away, super impressed. I'll definitely be reading more of Barbara Kingsolver because now I need to see what else she's, what other stories she has told. She is fantastic. I love Kingsolver. Um, Poisonwood Bible should be the next one you read. Okay, I own it. Okay, so there you go. Oh, there so we go. With the other one. You guys um, are giving my books all Melissa's going to have a late night tonight. That's right. She got stuff to do. She's also written a couple that are kind of set in Oklahoma. She's not from Oklahoma, but uh, yeah. The Bean Trees and Pigs in Heaven, I think, are uh, connected books that that are set here. I, I love her. And I've not read this book yet. I've seen it and was actually one of my coworkers was reading it. And she knows that I'm in the books and, and kept kind of coming in and updating me on how great it was. And, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, I'm going to read it. She bought me a copy and brought it to my office and said, here you go, because oh, wow. she wants me to read it so we can talk about it. So shout out to Shanna. Um, yeah, I can but, understand uh, that yeah. impulse. I like, you know, want to put put it in everyone's hands. So I get that. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your second one? This one is just a fun, feel good, comfort read type of contemporary romance that I happened to just pick up last week. Um, it's called The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. Yeah, just one of those I picked up because I couldn't sleep. I thought I'll listen to a little bit before I go to sleep. And then uh, maybe I want to pick up the book later. I ended up listening to the whole <laughs> listening oh, wow. to the whole book when I woke up, at, like technically my wake up time. I went and grabbed the book off my shelf and then finished reading it. I read the whole thing in a day. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. That's how fun it was. Okay, so contemporary romance. We the, the premise is so fun. So the main character is Hannah. Her name is Hannah Brooke. Love that. Yeah, she is an executive protection agent. In other words, a bodyguard, right? She's very good. One of the best in her company. She really knows her stuff. I think the back cover says something about her being able to kill somebody with a napkin. I mean, you know, she's skilled. She knows what she's doing. So she is put in charge of, they have her, her company that she's a part of has a big case where they have to protect a very high profile character. And um, she's the one that's put on as the main bodyguard because she's the best. And it happens to be this very famous celebrity household name. Everybody knows him. His name is Jack Stapleton. He's like one of those guys has been in all the cool movies and everybody follows what he does. And so he's kind of been laying low for a few years, but he also has this kind of very weird and quirky stalker that's kind of been giving him some trouble and sending him some things. And so 
they decide to have him guarded for a few weeks. And so uh, Hannah Arming character ends up being his main bodyguard. Something happens with Jack's mom. She gets really sick and she has to go in for some procedures and stuff. And so he really wants to be there with her. So he decides to go back to Texas. Obviously he's got to take his bodyguard team with him, but he does not want to freak his family out about the threat because they don't even know quite how serious it is. And he does not want to stress his mom out when she's going through all of this. So they're like, you guys can come and protect me, but I do not want my family to be stressed out by this. So the solution is obvious. We just let Hannah pretend to be his girlfriend, right? Then that she gets to go to all the family things. She can be close by. She can be there. So obviously the perfect setup for a really fun story. And so we basically go through their experience there in Texas, him trying to take care of his mom. Naturally, we just come into a bunch of family drama because, you know, the keeping it a secret, but still playing, playing the part, but also trying to keep somebody like physically safe, like literally keeping them safe, you know, finally, uh, I mean, obviously something happens. There's obviously a little bit of danger there, but the way it's all wrapped up, you know, it's like Hannah was saying about her, your book you read earlier, that it wraps up the way you want it to wrap up. And then of course there's a couple little surprises in there. It was such a good book. I just had to keep reading. I had to keep listening. I had to keep knowing what happened next. I loved it so much. And when I finished it, I immediately texted my mom and sister and was like, have you guys read this book yet? It's so cute. I just finished it in a day. Oh, and in case romance readers, if you're curious, there was no spice, no spicy scenes, but such a great story. So worth it. It would make a great movie. Anyway, that's The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. Oh, it sounds like so much fun. It, it reminds really me, um, just the initial premise reminds me of The Proposal, the Sandra oh, Bullock yes. and Ryan Reynolds movie where they have to pretend to yep. be together. That dynamic is just so fun. It really um, is. It, it really is so sets fun. you up for a really fun story. And I love that she's a bodyguard. Like, how cool. I know. What a fun flip is like the bodyguard yes. is a woman and she's protecting the guy. Yeah, it was I love that. That's, I'm loving me a contemporary romance moment for those reasons. It's we're just yep. kind of spinning those things on their heads and I love it. Um, I'm going to have to read that. I've been seeing a lot of uh, book talks about it and stuff too. I've, I'd heard yeah. of the title. I just didn't know what it was about, but I'm definitely going to pick it up now. It's really fun. I think you'll love it. So I have nothing to contribute to that part of it but <laughs> in a shocking turn of events. But listeners, how many of you, when she said the bodyguard, immediately heard Whitney Houston singing, I will always love you? That's mainly where my head has been since that title. That's awesome. All right. So it's backlist pick time. Uh, and this month, our category is a book you wish you could read again for the first time. Uh, and remember, these books are at least five years old. That's the only rule. So Hannah, we're going to let you go first. I uh, I love this backlist category. This is such a fun one because it, it just forced me to think through all the things I've ever read that I loved, which yeah. was a fun moment. I went with The Shining by Stephen King. Nice. You guys know I love Stephen King. For those of you who have never read it or seen the adaptations, The Shining is a story about a man named Jack Torrance, who is a husband. He's a father. And um, he is a recovering alcoholic, and he's also a writer. He has been kind of out of work recently, um, but through a connection with an old friend, he is hired to take care of the Overlook Hotel in its off-season. Um, and this is a hotel in Colorado. There's going to be a lot of snow. There's a lot of maintenance to take care of on the building, but they don't have guests in this um, really snowy season. And so Jack and his wife 
and his son, Danny, are all going to go and take care of the hotel through the winter. This is not your ordinary hotel, right? Um, There is a lot of um, just malevolence in the past and history at this hotel. Thank you. Words are kind of my thing. I'm kind of into those. <laughs> Lots of crazy things have gone down in this hotel. And the hotel kind of starts to reveal itself piece by piece to Jack and to, you know, the whole family as they are staying there more and more. And so they kind of delve into um, this sort of seeming madness. But what I like about the book, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the differences between the book and the movie. The book really goes into detail about what The Shining is. The Shining is this kind of power that um, particularly integrates itself in Danny. And so he gets kind of this sixth sense about um, the things that live amongst the hotel and the things that have happened in the hotel. And it's through The Shining that he's able to kind of communicate with these spirits and these supernatural things. The descent into madness makes more sense in the book than it does in the movie. Um, There are quite a few differences. If you've only ever seen the movie, I would highly recommend you read the book. One of the reasons why I said that this is a book that I would love to read again for the first time is because this was the very first book that I can remember that genuinely scared me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was genuinely frightened by some of the things that go on in this book. And you don't, I'm not saying that the movie isn't a scary movie. It definitely has frightening moments, but it hits different the way that you read it in the Mm -hmm. book. That's an experience I'd like to have again for the first time. And so I say, if you haven't read the book, you definitely should. It has um, kind of a different ending. So um, you will still be surprised at the end. You don't have to go into it thinking the whole thing's been spoiled. The characters are also different. The basics are kind of the same, but their characterizations play out differently in the book than they do in the movie. I love the movie. I think it's a good adaptation, but you're still missing out if you haven't read the book. No, totally agree. And that's funny that you said that because I can remember I was way too young when I read The Shining. Sorry, Mom. Oh, no. um, I'm guessing I was a young teenager when I read it. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the first books that I remember just thinking, ah, I'm scared now. Yeah. Yeah. That's Love one it. of those that you want your back to be up against the wall while you're reading right, it because right. you can feel things behind you if not. <laughs> yes. That's great um, stuff. Melissa, what about you? Okay. This is a tough choice. I had so many fun books. And I, I'm trying not to pick the one I talked about last time because it's also one I wish oh, I could read yeah. the first time. But I went with one that's kind of my favorite. I've reread it like three times at least, maybe maybe more. Parts of it, probably more. The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I love this book so much. Um, it's a book one of a, the King Killer Chronicles, I believe is what it's called. It's supposed to be a trilogy. There's two of them right now. Don't know if we're ever going to get a book three. That's the big <laughs> question. So when I recommend to people, sometimes that's on my only hesitation, but it's so good. Like to me, it doesn't matter. It's still one of my favorite books and it's very rereadable. So it's basically an epic tale of the life of a character named Kvothe. At the very beginning of the book, he's an innkeeper and he's just minding his business, taking care of his inn. And this character called the the chronicler, basically he's a scribe, right? You know, he writes down stories, comes in and you, you pick up on the fact that actually Kvothe is a little bit more than just an innkeeper. He's had quite the wild life. And um, so the chronicler wants to tell his story. He wants to write a story down. 
So Kvothe agrees to tell him his story. So over a three-day period, he tells his life story. And that's what the book is, is you're hearing his crazy life story of what's happened to him from when he was a kid all the way up till present day. And I I saw somebody online refer to it as a fantasy memoir, which I think is a perfect way to describe it because it's his story. So part of why I love this book so much is that, yes, you're hearing all of these epic tales of his life. But it's it's told in such a way that it feels very like you're sitting around a campfire hearing somebody's really crazy, epic, mythical stories of their life and the crazy things that have happened to them. That's that's the part I think I loved. I think that's what made me fall in love with the whole story was that you feel like you're sitting down and just letting this person tell you their, about their life. And it's like unbelievable things happen and cool ways to get out of situations pop up and you're just like, Oh, that's so smart. Of course, some, you know, tragic things happen to him when he's a kid. So you kind of, you know, I kind of had some compassion for him there and was like, Oh man. So then I really want to know how his life's going to turn out. Having had all this stuff happen to him, what's he going to do? I listened to the audio book as well. I have, I love the audio book, which makes it even more of a feeling like (laughs) sitting around the campfire, hearing somebody's life story. And the world building is amazing. The world, and that really does capture me. And that's usually why I will want to reread a book is if it's amazing world building, I will want to go back and revisit that world. There's a magic school called the university where he goes and he learns magic stuff, but magic there, they call sympathy, learning sympathy. And they do it in a kind of scientific way, which is a really fun take on magic where it's very easy to explain how this happens and why. Just one of those books that's like, I can pick it up anywhere in it and just start reading and then like be entertained by what's happening in that part of the story, which I find very enjoyable. So if there was a world that I could be introduced, you know, introduced to for the first time again, it would be this one. I would love to be able to just wipe the brain clean and just like have a new (laughs) introduction into the world again, because it was so captivating and entertaining. So I'm familiar with that set. I've not read them, but I, I love epic fantasy. I'm always kind of looking for the, the next one. It's just such a commitment, right? That if you're you're in, you're in. And so now yep. that I know that I may get cut short, uh, I'm a little concerned about getting other Game of Thrones situation where <laughs> yeah. there's, yep. there's another book coming, I promise. And, you know, we'll all be dead and gone before it ever shows up. <laughs> yep, yep. But I, I love that. And I, I know exactly what you mean about um, just kind of being introduced to that world and, and getting absorbed and... Uh, I love one of the things I love is the magic systems, right? The the way that yeah. they do what they do and the extent to which it's explained or not, because it's just a part of the life of the characters using an academy like that, a Hogwarts kind of thing to not yeah. that I'm comparing, but you know, to, to bring that system into place is a really cool way to do it. The characters that he's created in this book are so, so, I don't know, multifaceted, deep, mm. whatever, you could tell whole stories just about one of their characters, one of the side characters. Like that's one of the novellas type stories. That's what it is. It's a story of one of the characters. The new book that's coming out is about the backstory of one of the characters, but they're so creatively interesting. I would be happy to read a book about all the little characters. Yeah. If you want to write a book for all of them. I will read them all. <laughs> well, and that's a brilliant way to just keep things going, right? I mean, just from an author's perspective that I've got this big story, but if I can spin off some of these other things, I mean, we see it in movies, we see it in lots of other properties. So why not do the same kind of thing in books? It's brilliant. Yeah. So what about you, Jay? What's your pick? Just like you, this was kind of a fun trip down memory lane of 
how many you know possible books could I think of that I would like to read again for the first time? But I settled on Life of Pi by Jan Martel. Oh, that is such a good choice. Thank you very much. I love this book. This is I don't reread a lot because there's just so many other things I want to read. I've probably reread Life of Pi three or four times. Uh, I had the chance recently on another podcast to talk about the ending of it because uh, my friend Jamie made me talk about the endings of books. <laughs> so I went back and kind of reread again. And I think that's what kept it fresh in my mind for this. So Life of Pi, very quickly, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, is about a young man named Pi who uh, is on a boat with his parents going from India to America with the zoo, literally the zoo of full of animals that they have sold, and they are transporting them to to the United States when the ship sinks. And Pi finds himself on a lifeboat with a zebra, a hyena, an orangutan, and a tiger. And the story is their journey on the water to get home, right? To, to get somewhere uh, that they can get to land and survive. And I won't get into any much more than that, except to say it's beautifully written. It's a brilliant story. It is full of humor. It's full of heartbreak. It's full of wonder. If you've seen the film, I think that's one of the things the film really did well was capture just the beauty and the wonder of being out on the ocean and who knows what might really be out there because so much of it is unexplored. We don't ever see it. Uh, and, And that's one of the reasons I would love to read it again, because I would love to visit for the first time some of the things that he discovers along the way, but also just the way they're described and the the stories that get they get told. But the real reason I would love to read it again is for about the last 10 pages of the book. Oh, yeah. And I, I want to be real careful not to spoil it completely for anybody who hasn't read it yet. Pi does survive. We'll, we'll give you that part. And when he lands in Mexico, the two businessmen come to see him from the company that owns the ship that sank. Because they want to know what's going on. So you have this whole epic journey adventure. And then into it show up to Abbott and Costello. Because these guys are hilarious. Unintentionally. Like they're just you know kind of bumbling. And they're asking him the story of what happens. And he tells the story of being on the, the lifeboat with the animals. And they don't believe him. And so there's a really great conversation in there about truth and perception. And what's real and what we choose to be real. But then he tells another version of the story. Very quickly, obviously, it's not like a second novel, but he tells another version of the story that is similar, but fundamentally different in a couple of very significant ways. And what Martel does there that is so brilliant is he injects at the very last second of the book, this ambiguity about what you've just read. (laughs) And there are people that I know that makes absolutely crazy. I wanted to throw it against the wall. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) But it is done so deftly and you don't see it coming. Yes, it is. You don't see it coming. So well. I did not see it coming. Yeah, and it just, it slips in. And then the the last few things he says about that, you know, which version of the story would you choose? And and they they make a statement. And so it, it ends on this really kind of amazing note and at the same time there is that frustration of oh wait a minute what <laughs> to me yeah. so yeah i i love life of pi i would i think i would love it anyway without that last chapter um and so you know if you don't like ambiguity and that makes you crazy just don't read the last chapter there you go that's a solution <laughs> there yeah a solution and you'll still get the entire story you'll get everything you want 
without this question of what what's real and what's not. But I'm telling you, you need to read the last chapter as well. So Life of Pi, Jan Martel, I just, I love it so much. I'd love to be able to read it again for the first time. That's such a good choice. I would, oh, I would give anything to read that again for the first time. It's one of the most, and this sounds like it's not a thing, but you'll get it. It's one of the most visually captivating books I think ever written. Yeah. Which is a funny thing to say because it's not like it's a picture book, but like you can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it and and wonder. I mean, yeah, like it's just so much wonder in the world that he is just kind of like discovering and existing in. And, you know, there's been a lot of critique of the film for, for different reasons that I don't think is fair, but that's another podcast. But what what they do capture in an incredible way is that very dynamic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Just the, the bigness and the beauty of the world in the midst of, I mean, it's still terrifying, right? You're stuck on a little boat in the middle of an ocean with a tiger and a bunch of animals. But in the midst of that, it's just you, I remember seeing it in the theater and saying, wow, on multiple occasions yeah. because of just the way it was presented and things were out there. So uh, it's such a great yeah. so good. Love it so much. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Your Next Great Read. I think we've made it. Uh, Melissa, thanks so much for hanging out with us again. Thank you so much. This is always, always a pleasure. Thank you. So before we go, remind everybody how they can find you on Instagram. Okay. Yes. My Instagram, Bookstagram, is uh, sticky note underscore bookrex. And that's where you can find me. And on there, I have a link tree in my bio that has a bunch of other links. If you want to follow me on Goodreads or other places, you can find those links there. So that's the easiest way to find me. If you want to find me in person, you can come visit me on the weekends at Literati Press Bookshop. I work there on the weekends. I would be happy to talk books with you, recommend books to you, whatever you'd like. So, Absolutely. We love Literati so much. Hannah, great stuff as always. As always. Remember, everybody, you can find all the links to all the books we talked about in the show notes and on okiebookcast.com slash nextread. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Bookcast newsletter for more news and recommendations straight to your inbox every month. We'll be back next month with more books and another great guest that you are going to want to tune in to hear because Hannah and I cannot wait to introduce this person to you and to actually meet this person ourselves. Until then, go find something good to read. <laughs>